A fabringen, in Yiddish a term meaning a joyous gathering, but it's really so much more. It's insight, it's inspiration, it's the bottom line. Join Rabbi Levi Avtson, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. for the Fabringen, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avtson from Linksfield Chul. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here once again. I hope your day is beautiful. And once again, this is the Fabringen Show, every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. Craig is on the controls. And today we'll be talking about spiritual exercise or straining oneself and the incredible privilege and honor to be able to actually push ourselves harder to really talk about the the makeup of life and the fact that Hashem designed the world, God designed the world, which we're called upon each and every single day to strain ourselves, to push ourselves harder and to to grow. As always, you can be part of our conversation by 34519. It's our SMS, Telegram 061 studio number 010-140-3200. Let's start with a song that talks about pushing oneself. It talks about the exodus, that God did not only take us out of Egypt once upon a time, but he rather calls upon us each and every day to pull ourselves by our bootstraps out into redemption. This is Loa Tavoseinu Bolvad by... Um, the Diaspora Yeshiva Band here on 101.9 High FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 High FM. Rabbi Levi Afton, Linksfield Shul here. So earlier today, I'm trying to figure out in my mind what topic to address on the Fabringen show today. Something original, you know, maybe a topic that hasn't been addressed in, on this show in the past, or if it has, it's been a while and it's time to look at it in a new way. And... I was doing my daily study each day, you know, learning various parts. There's a daily study that uh, many do in the Chumash. We learn the parish of the week, um, say the Tilim, Maimonides. Many people learn the Talmud. Each person, you know, having their what's called Seder Halimud, their order of learning that they try to cover daily. And one of the one of the subjects that I, I learn every day is the book the Tanya, an incredible book, and coincidentally, but nothing is coincidence, today is the yard site of the writer of the Tanya, Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe. So I'm looking at this Tanya, and like the Tanya of the day just screams out to me and says, okay, let's, let's explore this together. And I thought, you know, it's obviously appropriate because it's the Alter Rebbe's yard site and because it's a good concept on any day of the year to really address it. Today, he... he in the, in the section of learning, it was from chapter 15. If, an, if, you, if any of the listeners have a Tanya, you could go check it out. And even if you don't have a Tanya, it's on Chabad.org, and there's many, many translations of Tanya all over the net. Um, Chabad House locally sells uh, translated Tanyas, etc. But you could go on Chabad.org, and you'll find a beautiful translation. And in chapter 15, the author focuses specifically on the concept of strain. What I'm going to call the show spiritual strain. He finds a verse in the prophets. He refers to a verse that talks about two kinds of righteous men. The person who serves God and the person who doesn't serve God. 
And it's obvious that he's not referring to a righteous and a non-righteous because he refers to that already earlier in the verse. He tries to create that divide between people who are devoted to God and, and those who aren't. So he argues that these two people, the person who serves God and the person who doesn't, doesn't serve God, are two people who, for all practical purposes, are faithful, devout, observant. They're, they're dedicated. And yet one person could be called upon as a servant of the Lord, and the other person's not. And he asks why. What, what divides two people who seemingly do everything right or do a lot right? You know, nobody does anything right. It's two people who do a lot right, what's the difference between those two individuals? What defines one of them as a servant of God and the other one as a non-servant? And he brings an example. He references a Talmud. And the Talmud over there discusses that in Babylonia, there were, at, in, in those days, 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, what, pretty much delivery men, taxi drivers. And they would charge for a certain distance, for 100 mil, they would charge one zuz, one, one golden coin. And that was their standard rate. For, sorry, for 10 miles. If you wanted to go 10 and a half miles, 10.2 miles, you wanted to go 11 miles, the price wouldn't jump on that rate. You know, I don't know, 1.10 coins, $1.10? No. You would pay $2. The moment you went anything past their distance, their 10-mile distance, you asked them to do a delivery or to do a drop-off or to take you somewhere the rate went up significantly. Why? Because it was more than their custom. It was more than their comfort zone. And that's the word I want to talk about. That Those two words, actually. Comfort zone. And the Talmud says that sometimes to push ourselves 1% more than our comfort zone can strain us 100% more. In other words, when we get comfortable in a certain space, and that's where we feel familiar and comfortable, and then we're called upon to strain, the reward is so much more, um, it's doubled, just like those taxi drivers, because it's out of a comfort zone. And even though maybe... Per meter, it's a small distance, but mentally, it's a huge effort. Says Rabbi Schneir Zalman, says the Tanya, those are two people. There's two people out there. There's one person who serves God and does everything they need to do, but they're comfortable. It's their comfort zone. They're on the track. They're on, what's it called? Cruise control. They're on cruise. They're familiar you know the first time you got into a car, okay, besides the thrill, but at least me, I can't talk about you. Maybe you walked into the car the first time and you were total natural, like everyone convinces themselves. You know, I just sat in, I knew it, I've been practicing my whole life, I was made for this moment. Well, I wasn't. I definitely wasn't made for that moment. I had to learn it. So you're sitting the first time in the car and you're still adjusting to, you know, the, the chemistry of the, you know, the wheel and the pedal and the brake. And if you had a car with gear, you know, the gears, you, you're, you're learning the balance, you're learning the clutch, you're learning everything. 
But at some stage, whether it's a week later, a month later, a year later, or 10 years later, driving is so subconscious, it's so natural that literally sometimes you ask yourself, one second, I just drove down that highway? <laughs> you just, you, you didn't even notice you drove. You know, hopefully you were cautious and you drove safely, but like your head was elsewhere because what was an effort till now is like reactive. It's, it's just, it's so natural. It's so comfortable. It's where I'm at. Uh, and there's a million examples. I mean, seriously, from how we learned how to walk as a young kid to whether we're a public speaker and compare the first speech to the hundredth speech, um, anything in life that we did the first day at job to the last day at job, first day in a relationship to hopefully many years later, if it didn't, you know, go and totally collapse, hopefully the relationship has become more natural, more comfortable, more or just smooth. Um, so each and every one of us has a space in our life that's comfortable in our health, in our emotional world, in our intellectual world, what we read, etc. And then there's walking out of your comfort zone. Says the Tanya that in serving the God Hashem, it's the same thing. Wherever you're at, you can be a great person who does everything right and crosses all the T's and dots all the I's, but you're not serving God because serving God doesn't only mean to do, it means to strain. The Tanya says, a, a servant of God and a servant in the most beautiful sense of the word, someone that's committed, that's given over, somebody that's working. He's an Oved, he's working, he's straining himself. He's pushing himself. Um, often used the, the word Oved, which means work, is used in the Talmud for another context. It's for, for, let's say, a tanner, somebody who works with leathers. And he has to work the leather, what's called Ibud Oiris, to work with the leather and to develop the leather into a shoe, into a coat, whatever it is. That's what Evid means to work, just like leather has to be beaten and, and worked with so hard until it, it develops into something. Wearable, so too each and every one of us. We weren't just born to do. We were born to strain. We weren't just born to do the right thing. We were born to push ourselves harder. Push ourselves more. To go, to get out of comfort. To, get out of the cruise control, to put our hands back on the clutch, to go on a road that's maybe a little more bumpy, a little more uncomfortable, a little unfamiliar, and to truly discover the sunshine and the beauty on that road. On that thought, here's a song, Sunshine, from Miami Boys Choir, a beautiful song here on 101.9 High FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. So how often do you look in the mirror in the morning and say, gosh, ah, wow, um, I don't recognize that person. Now, usually that's not a good expression. That's usually maybe because you, your, your eyes look like they just uh, develop spider webs. And, you know, maybe your hair or for me, my beard <laughs> um, is all over the place. You're like, geez, OK, um, let me just put myself together. But let's talk about in a more less superficial and less vain way. How often do you look at yourself and say, wow, I've really come a long way? I think of myself last year, hmm, 12 months ago, where was I? 
when I started last year, January, where was I? What headspace was I in? Do I recognize myself or am I a bit unrecognizable in a good way? I've grown. I've strained. I've strained various parts of my personality. I've strained my mind. I've strained my emotional capacity. I've, I've pulled myself further. Ultimately, we were put into this world not to cruise control, but to learn how to walk uphill. That's what we were put here. We were taught to, and were encouraged to learn how to fight uphill, to be able to climb mountains, to go against gravity. Because gravity, if it doesn't push us down, it at least keeps us in the status quo. And that's why walking on a flat surface is actually relatively easy. But the moment there's a bit of an incline and we're fighting gravity and our leg does not get the chance to, you know, fully hit the ground at the same level, etc., we're straining ourselves and we're pushing our body to a state that it naturally doesn't want to go to. At that moment, we're growing. At that moment, we're building muscle not in the physical sense, but in in the most beautiful sense of actually building character. Each and every one of us is born with a personality type. That's the way we came into this world. It maybe took a few years for our personality to shone. You know, when we were six months old, we were cute. Everyone was pinching our cheeks and everything was fantastic. And, you know, as young, we were full vivacious, etc., at some stage in our life, our true personality started uncovering our weaknesses, our talents. It's not as if a perfect child became a compromised human being, but rather a perfect child got to reveal their true imperfections. None of us are born perfect. Yes, a child that screams is still perfect because ultimately they're doing their role, but none of us are perfect. And throughout our life, we come and discover certain complex and compromised parts of our personality. Sometimes it could come out due to circumstances. You know, you go into a new environment, you go into a new relationship, and a part of yourself that you never knew, a good part or a part that needs work, comes out. You're like, gosh, I I didn't know that, you know, I'm uncomfortable in close relationships, or I didn't know that I have stuff I'm dealing with. Whatever it is, each and every one of us in new settings, you, you go to first time out of town, I didn't know that I have unhealthy attachment issues with my home and therefore how do I work it through whatever it is but at some stage in our life we we discover the the parts of our personality that are neat tweaking for lack of better word and then the question is what now do you use that beautiful expression which is just such it's actually a useless expression but it sounds so good this is who I am you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm violent and um, I'm abusive and emotionally stifled, but hey, this is who I am. How often do we hear that expression? Hopefully not in such radical circumstances of violence, but very often, you know, people who are, I don't know, very inappropriate or socially um, difficult etc. They'll come in and they'll do something which is totally out of place. I feel like, you know, seriously, I mean, come on, man. Like, it's not the right space. Hey, this is who I am. And it's called genuine because, you know, I'm just being who I am. But being who you are is the beginning of the journey. The next journey is become better. (laughs) 
In other words, we weren't born to be who we were. We were born to be our best selves. So no, we're not here to become something else, but we're here to be our better selves. And if there's parts of our personality that are that need tweaking, that need work, then that's what we're here to do. We're here to work on them. It's such a ridiculous concept, this idea like, you know, I know I'm just tactless and I know I'm mean-spirited and I know I say what's on my mind even if it offends everybody, but you know, hey, that's just who I am. And you just have to get to live with me. Why? Why, why, why does anyone have to live with that? Why, why, excuse me, like why? Or... Honey, I know I never tell you I love you, but you know, it's just not my kind of thing. So make it your thing. So make it your thing. It might be harder for you than for the other person, but that's not an excuse. It just means that that's your journey. That's my journey, each and every one of us. And this is not about, you know, um, how to say this. It's not about beating ourselves up or beating each other up or me coming across as self-righteous. I hope I'm not. It's about each and every one of us having an honest conversation and saying, yes, we were born compromised, and that's okay, because that's what we were born to do, to work with that. If we were born perfect, then what exactly are we working with? What's the point of tomorrow? What can tomorrow do more than today? If today is perfect and tomorrow is perfect, then what did tomorrow give that today didn't have? But if today is a bit compromised and tomorrow is a bit less compromised because I've worked on my character and now I'm obviously not perfect because m- very few of us, if any, change overnight, but I'm, I just fight the battle with a little more effort and oh, wow, I look at myself and say, that's a bit unfamiliar. I can't believe I just did that. I held my tongue. I didn't blow up in anger. I didn't hold a grudge for as long as I did last time. I got over myself. My ego didn't get in my way. I communicated better with my loved ones. Had a more pleasant conversation. Whatever it is. But tomorrow and today cannot be exactly the same. And this year and last year cannot be the same. And yes, we turn to God and say this year should be everything good. But that's God's part and we obviously pray to him to do that but what's about our part what am I doing differently this year what character am I working on what do I look at myself and say you know what at the end of this year by coming Rosh Hashanah I will be unrecognizable to myself I won't be the guy that is just reliable that gets offended by every little thing you know there's certain people you just know they'll be faribald all you have to do is not give them their honor at the exact moment that they thought they're getting it. And you could really, it's like, it's the, I call it the variable trigger. You just, eventually you get to know people and you just know, okay, how do I throw you into the variable? What do I need to do to you? Okay, perfect, fantastic. Now you're variable, now let's sort it out, blah, 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 blah. We, we enter this routine, this comfort zone of, this is just who I am. So yes, honey, for 50 years, I was never, you know, nice uh, and giving person. And you, you lived with me, so you'll live with me for another 10 years. Why? Why? Why is there... Why in every other area of your life are we aware that you have to push yourself harder? Every one of us who wants to build a business or wants to build a career or wants to build a success in whatever area of their life knows that tomorrow has to be more than today because otherwise you just get... You go down. 
you can't, life doesn't really have the flat option. It's like a mountain and you're either going down or up, but even flat doesn't get you anywhere. You need to strain. We can't plateau in life. We have to strain. We know it in our body built, you know, and if you're trying to train, even basic training, if every single day you do the exact same distance with the exact same training, eventually it becomes so easy, you're not actually building anything. You have to push yourself a bit harder. So yes, maybe you started on the bike or the treadmill on number one or two, but eventually you go to two and a half, three, four, five, six, whatever. That's the way we're built. That yesterday's comfort is today's, gosh, um, is, to, is, is, is today's death. It's today's useless. Yes, sorry, yesterday's effort is today's comfort, and that's useless. What was hard yesterday and now became easy, then that's, let's move, move on, let's go. Next, 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 next. I remember one of my friend of mine wrote an article, he wrote it very well, he says, yesterday's medals, tomorrow will choke you. Yesterday it was around your neck and you felt, oh my gosh, look how many distinctions she got, mamish, unbelievable. Great, so you have a nice uh, uh, thing around your neck. But the medal of yesterday is now just choking you because what about today's medal? What about today's effort? Every day that we wake up, it's Hashem, it's God coming and saying, you have purpose today. And by definition, purpose means it has to push you further. You have to go more. We love relishing in our success. We love thinking, you know, once I hit the top of the mountain, it is comfortable. But gosh, as one person told me a few days ago, he says, Rabbi, you think that once you hit this milestone and that milestone and that milestone, you're comfortable. But no, there's other, you hit the top of the mountain and you discover there's another mountain waiting for you there. There is no Everest in life because Everest has a top. Every moment of every day is a new mountain. Sometimes it's the same mountain as, as yesterday because we didn't actually overcome that mountain yesterday. But there's always a mountain to climb. Whether we're 2, 22, or 102, there's a, there is a mountain to climb today. And that's why we're here today. So what's your mountain? On this Tuesday afternoon, wherever you're at, what's your mountain? What about today can be so much richer than yesterday? doesn't have to be a dramatic day. It doesn't have to be a day that you're making a massive presentation or you're having a, you know, an unusual event. No. But it could be the day that the person that knows you and thinks they knows you looks at you and says, gosh, that's out of character. And you know that you've had a great day. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 Chai FM. I would love to travel the world. Is there is is there another advert for a guy that allows you to travel the world and pays for it? <laughs> anyway, Craig, um, it's good to be here. It's 101.9 Chai FM. Rabbi Levi Aftson from Linksfield Show. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to be talking to you. And we're talking about pushing ourselves. So let's talk about pushing ourselves academically, learning-wise. I remember a study that I saw quite a few years ago, which made a very deep impression on me. It says that one in four Americans has not read a book in the last year, and that includes fiction. 
many people, the moment they finish studying, stop learning. And I think one of the reasons is, uh, forgive me if it's, a, you know, it's out of a comfort zone, but that's really what the show is about. Uh, I, I want you to think about this idea. You could agree or disagree. We'd love to hear your thoughts, 34519. But I'm going to propose a theory. And that is that at least secular studies, maths, English, etc., very often the narrative we tell our kids is that the reason you learn it is because that's the way you're going to get a degree. And the only way to make a living is by getting a degree. In other words, knowledge is a way to make a living. Knowledge is a means to an end. And the moment you figure out how to make a living, then knowledge is out of the window. Right? Once once it's past university, or you manage to land your dream job, or you're married into money, now who needs to study? Because study was a means to an end. And the moment I figured out my end, I remember watching this little mini documentary of this 15-year-old who developed an app. And now he doesn't need to go to school. Why? He developed an app. The app is doing incredibly well. was bought out by Silicon Valley. Who needs school? School was there to teach him how to make a living. He figured it out. So, first time for learning. Who needs to learn? Torah learning, on the other hand, is so different. It's not just a different subject, and it's not just more spiritual or more godly. That's all true. But when we study Torah, the whole objective is different. I'm not studying to get anywhere. I'm studying to connect to Torah. You know, there's this misconception out there about smichas, or the way South Africans often refer smichas, um, which is this rabbinic ordination. Yeah, it's a it's a few year effort, but I'll be honest. When when the average guys in yeshiva, I could just talk about myself and my friends. Nobody was saying, "Gosh, the only way I'm going to get smicha one day is if I do X amount of learning now." No, smicha was a its own small section of learning that we did at a certain age of our life in our early twenties. Till then, our learning was totally not even in direction. It wasn't. It wasn't. We. I don't remember once ever being told that this is the way to get smicha. Some of my friends got smicha. Some of my friends didn't get smicha. Rabbinic coordination, but but it was irrelevant. We weren't learning to become rabbis. We were just learning to learn. We were told that that's our mandate. That's the way you know a Jew lives. That's the way we connect. So automatically, if you're not learning as a means to an end, but an end in itself, when do you stop learning? You never do. And that's why you see so many people that dafka start learning more as life progresses. You go to yeshivas, you go to shuls around the country, and you see people till 10, 11 o'clock at night sitting and learning. You're like, why? What are you learning? What's there to learn for? You're making a living. Or you're not making a living, but the learning's not helping you make a living. Because we don't learn for a living. It's, It's actually so condescending towards knowledge. And I'll be honest, not only towards Torah, but I would say even towards secular knowledge. It's so condescending that knowledge became a way to earn a living. That the reason we study history is because we could get good on our matric so that we could get into university so that we can go become, I don't know, a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. Really? That's all the history has to offer? That's all the mathematics has to offer? That's all that language has to offer? Really? Is all English just a, is English just a way to write your exam? Or to understand Shakespeare? Don't you see the beauty of language? Don't you see the, the, the richness of expression? 
language is magnificent. Of course, uh, the, the Hebrew tongue, uh, the the gods, you know, the language of the Torah is, is the most beautiful language. But any language shouldn't be used as a means to an end. It's an end on itself. It's so rich. And it boggles the mind how in the culture we live in, not only this culture, I'm saying around the world, knowledge has become a way of bettering life. Now, yes, that's a side effect. I'm not saying we shouldn't want to make a living. But when knowledge is sold as simply a means and earning a living is the ultimate ends, then you have a world whose values are upside down because knowledge is on the top of the pyramid and not earning a living. Earning a living, living is a way so that we can have more time and more headspace to learn more knowledge. And the more you earn, and hopefully the more comfortable you are, the more clear headspace you are to learn. Not the more you learn, the more you earn. The more you earn, the more you learn. Because knowledge is the ultimate pursuit, as is relationships. Often you're told that, what's what's that modern world word we have? Networking. Oh, networking. So you got to learn how to network. So you send your kids or, you know... You, Young adults to social gatherings for them to learn how to network. Why are they networking? So that they can meet either the, the, the daughter or son of a wealthy person or, you know, the Heiche Fenster, wealthy, you know, successful people who I can liaison with, who will hopefully get me a job and hopefully I'll make more money and I've hit my pinnacle. Now, yes, that's important. It's important to earn a living once again. But when relationships only becomes a, a, a means to an end, it's a way to manipulate yourself into more success, and it's so patronizing to relationships. One of the things that you know wealthy people often say, and I, as a rabbi, I've often heard them tell it to me directly. They'll say, "Obviously, being blessed with money has a lot of blessings, but one of its curses is that you lose almost every friend." Why? Because every time someone's sitting sitting across you, you ask yourself one question: What's their agenda? Are they trying to get a, a job? Are they trying to get a connection? Now, there's nothing wrong with people needing favors, but they're not coming and saying directly to the favors. They're first coming and, you know, smiling and slick and, and, and making believe as if they're friend. And then the penny drops. Relationships are not means to an end. They are the end. We don't talk to each other. <laughs> I remember it was, I had a friend that I went with. Craig, I'll, I'll finish in a moment. I had a friend that I went to do outreach in Florida, in Boca Raton, many years ago. And we come, we were told to go visit this hundred year old fellow, lives in a, you know, in a retirement village with his 80 year old wife. And we come into the door and we knock and we sit down. Old Jewish fellow looks at me and, and my friend and says, so what's your agenda? In a real Brooklyn accent. And I look at my friend and I look at myself and I, I don't know, we were encouraged to come visit you. Just to say hi. Ah, come on! Nonsense! What's your agenda? I don't know, there is no agenda. Anyways, we start talking, he, he was a veteran of World War II, talks about various escapades that he went through. Five minutes later. Okay, cut the nonsense. What's your agenda? <laughs> So it went for about 40 minutes. We sat there and every five to 10 minutes, suddenly there's this like pause in the conversation. You're distracting me. You're trying to get away, but there's an agenda. And finally we get up 
And I look at the gentleman and I say, sir, can you believe it? There actually was no agenda. Have a great day. (laughs) And he says, I don't believe you. And I walked out with my friend. And I remember it made an impression on me. It was many years ago. And I remember turning to my friend and saying, how sad that this individual has been on this planet for a 100 years and he's convinced that two young rabbinic interns walking into his door, there has to be an agenda. What does it say about the world he, he lives in and what does it say about the lessons he learned from this world? And for me, that was heartbreaking. Learning should not be an agenda. Relationships should not be an agenda. Caring should not be an agenda. Life! There's no agenda other than serving God and doing the right thing. And yes, hopefully things will fall into place. They will. But when everything just becomes a way to make money or to become powerful or manipulate ourselves into popularity, whatever we think we're aiming at, we lost the plot. What's the top of your mountain? What's your pinnacle? What's on the top of your pyramid? And I think we have to realign. Education is important, but not as a means to an end. Earning a living is important, but it's not the be-all and end-all of life. And it shouldn't happen that the older we get, the less we learn, because then we know that we've got things topsy-turvy. On the contrary, the older we get, the wiser we become, and therefore the knowledge is so much more enriched. I remember opening a book in my mid-twenties, the same book that I had read in my mid-teens, and that was only 10 years of difference. That wasn't 50 years of experience. It was 10 years of, of life experience. And I remember saying, gosh, what a book. It was actually the book that I was referring to earlier, Tanya. As a kid, I was learning, and it was very repetitive, a case of this idea, you know, just getting tested. What does this say? What does that say? R- tell me a summary of this chapter. But there was no internalization. I didn't have the awareness for that. And then in my mid-20s, I'm struggling with, you know, developing myself. And suddenly I'm like, wow, there's wisdom here. But yet most people never give knowledge a second chance the moment they finish school. Because knowledge was a means to an end. It was just something to, you know, take your extra lessons and work hard and go to that um, final exam and get your mark. And then close the book forever. That's heartbreaking. Why? Why? Knowledge is beautiful. Relationships are beautiful. Judaism is beautiful. And one final point on that idea of Judaism as a means to an end. Often people will say, why should you you know, do Judaism? Because you're going to get the world to come. And for me, that's exactly the same thing. Really? That's all Judaism's become? A way to get the wor- a place in the world to come? To get another pink couch in heaven? Really? We s- no, we practice Judaism to connect ourselves and to God. To play our part in this world. To do our part. Not for us to think about heaven. Yes, heaven exists, but that's a side benefit. We're here to serve. We're here to do. We're here to push ourselves. It's time to realign. This is 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Yafsen from Linksfield Shul. Thank you for joining us on the show. Wishing you and yours a great day, a great week. May we all be blessed with all the blessings we need. And let's strain ourselves a little more in the best way possible to better ourselves, to better our families, to better this world. Have a great week.